Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to the Speaking from Our Hearts podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by a lady that's been on a previous episode, um, a lady by the name of Kelly Brandley. And Kelly uh, is from Zurich in Switzerland. She's a dating and relationship coach and an executive matchmaker. Kelly, very, very warm welcome to you. Thanks very much, Paul. It's great to be back here with you. And uh, one of the uh, things that you'd like to discuss today, I think it's an absolutely crucial one personally, Kelly, in, in, you know, in terms of relationships, Fights about money are never really about money. Just give us a, a brief insight as to what, why you feel so strongly and passionately about this. Well, a lot of the work that I do is helping people understand their underlying human needs. And so each of us has six needs, and we can go into those a little bit later. But basically, at the end of the day, everything that we do as a person ultimately is an attempt to try and meet one of these six needs. And we use money as a way to meet one of these needs. We can call it a vehicle, if you would like. And so we use it as a vehicle to meet an underlying need. could be a need for security or a need for significance. And therefore, when we end up fighting in relationships about money, actually what we are really fighting about is a conflict in those underlying needs. And we're just using money in different ways. Mm, interesting. Um, I'm really going to. I'm looking forward to this because I'm a massive advocate. To, I think that you know, in life generally, Keller, there's two things that uh, that help. Two massive tools that can help us dig down into almost any challenge. And one of them is, in my opinion, that you've quite rightly alluded to, is the six human needs, um, as advocated by Tony Robbins. And the other one is our beliefs, isn't it? Definitely. That has a huge impact on how we relate to others, how we show up in the world and the decisions we ultimately make. Right. Yeah. So I think it might be worth a very quick whistle stop, um, Kelly, seeing as you've introduced the concept of the six human needs, um, a very, very quick whistle stop uh, around those and, and particularly in the context of money. I mean, I could share you know, as I have done uh, quite a lot of stuff around the six human needs, but mine was in the context of my, my alcohol addiction. Um, so it'd be interesting to get a, a sort of, as I say, a quick whistle stop uh, slant on it from a from a finance point of view. How does that sound? Yes, super. I'd be happy to do that. So when we look at the six human needs, the first point to just mention is that these are common across genders, races, religion, nationality, and age. So everybody basically shares these six human needs. And they are the need for certainty. Um, we might look at this as security, having things that we know are predictable. 
Then we have the need for uncertainty or variety in life. This is what creates excitement in our life that, you know, even though we like things to be predictable, um, that can get boring. So then we have a need to have things change. We have a need for significance. This can show up in different ways. It can be on one side status, but it can also be the need to be needed. We have a need for love and connection. Uh, connection is sort of a lower order need. This is to have relationship with other humans. And as we go sort of up the scale of, of sort of hierarchy, love is a much more intimate connection with a person. And then we have two what we call higher order needs. And these are more the needs that lead to fulfillment in life. So this is the need to grow. Uh, you've probably heard the saying, if we're not growing, we're dying. So everybody needs to be growing in some way. And then the need to contribute beyond ourselves. So to make an impact and make a difference in the world. So if we look at each of these needs in the context of money, we can see how people will use the vehicle of money to meet these needs in different ways. So somebody may want to save money because they know that having money in the bank helps them feel safe and secure. They can pay their rent. You know, if they have emergencies, they know money is available and they don't have to sort of scramble. Another person may use money as a way to get variety. They will travel the world, see new places, have new experiences. Then somebody who uses money for significance, they may buy a fancy car or have a beautiful home because it gives them a level of status in the world. They have people who use money to get love and connection. So they think by owning you know, these things that people will fall in love with them because they have amounts of money or they have certain material possessions. Then we have people who use money as a way to grow. I mean, we'll see people going back to school and they want to save money to do their PhD because it's going to give them a potential to grow in their life. And then finally, we have people who simply want to have a lot of money because they know with money that they can help more people. Maybe they can then quit their corporate job and follow their passion to help people or go on a mission to a third world country or whatever. So you can see that in looking at the six human needs, money is sort of a means to six different ends, if you will. Mm, fascinating, yeah. I love the six human needs. I, I love the, the power and the simplicity of them. I mean, what you've just explained there, Kelly, is, uh, yeah, well, is, is simple and yet powerful. Um, okay, so I want to go back to the title, um, Kelly. Fights about money or never really about money. Hmm. I want to I want to come at this from a completely contrasting perspective and so uh, almost polarized and, and I want to sort of read from a blog that I did called a common mistake that couples make. Even in the most seemingly perfect coupled relationships, you can bet your bottom dollar that that harmony has been built on the rock solid foundations of good old fashioned things like honest and open communication as well as being able to discuss money. The internet is awash with stats that heavily reinforce the fact that couples making the mistake of not discussing money is a surefire way to introduce doubt, distrust, separation and potentially divorce. I'm going to pause there, Kelly, and invite you in to comment on my uh, my opening statement there. Uh 
I guess if you were looking for a debate, unfortunately, I can't disagree with anything that you've said there. Um, I think it, it absolutely rings true for me. And uh, you're right. I mean, these foundational elements are so critical to a, a good relationship. So it is really then, as you say, about sort of identifying what needs to be met, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a great way to link those up. And, um, you know, even if we look at, at a topic like trust, um, maybe I can tell you a little story because I have a great example of where trust was sort of the, well, let's say, the presenting issue, which then led into money, which then led into the, the ultimate understanding of needs. Yeah. So um, as part of my coaching practice, I work with couples going through um, challenges in their relationship. And I've been working with a couple for a couple of weeks, and let's just call them Lori and John. And Lori and John came to me basically at the brink of divorce. And the reason being is that John had gone out without discussing with Lori and bought a brand new car. And when Lori contacted me, she said, I want to divorce my husband because I can't trust him anymore. And simply he's, you know, gone and spent our money. We didn't discuss it. I would have never agreed to this. And so the trust is now gone in our relationship. And I really don't see how I can continue this marriage. And so I started working with them. And one of the first things that we discussed about is, you know, why did John go out and buy a car without talking to Lori? And he explained to me that in his childhood, he'd grown up in quite an affluent, wealthy family and money was never an object. And so his father would often take him away on, you know, fancy weekend boys trips or he'd buy toys and, you know, they had boats and um, ATVs and all kinds of these things which they did together as father and son. And he remembers this extremely fondly. And so money was always used for him as a means to an end of having um, variety in their life and also having this love and connection. Where Lori, on the other hand, was raised in a single parent family. And her mom worked two jobs and she was always scraping together money at the end of the month to pay the bills. And there wasn't much left over for extras or fun. And she really taught Lori growing up that you need to save your money, put it away, have money for emergencies. And so Lori really grew up thinking money was linked to security. And when we started talking about this, this is where we came to this, the fight about money isn't about money, but actually what this couple was arguing about was John's need for variety was conflicting with Lori's need for security. And because of this conflict, it had undermined the trust that they had in the relationship. And of course, when you're arguing at the level of money, you don't see this conflict. So you're just saying, you know, you're spending money, I want to save money. And you're having an argument at that level. But when you go deeper and see that it comes down to two conflicting needs, it becomes very clear why this can erode trust in a relationship. And so in order to solve this situation for, for this couple, what we did is we started to look at other ways that they can both recognize the other person's need and meet that need for their partner, as well as continuing to meet their own need. So John came up with this great idea 
where he said, every time I go out to spend money on a toy or a weekend away with the boys, I will put the same amount of money into an account for our boys' um, future education. And so he was meeting Laurie's need for security while still being able to meet his own need for variety. And because of this, it helped to rebuild this underlying trust in their relationship. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. I mean, just listening to you there, Kelly, brings in the question of rules that, we, uh, that we're influenced by. Does, you know, we pick these rules up. We learn these rules um, as, as we progress along our journey, don't we? And, and in the context of relationship, um, relationships, one of the things that comes to mind is this scenario where there's a guy, uh, this is a kind of stereotypical example, I suppose, but it'll get the point across, I'm sure. Say a guy's working loads and loads and loads of hours to, you know, to build the business up for the security, for the certainty of the family. Um, and he comes home, you know, after working 12, 14, 15 hour days, very tired every day. And he just wants to kind of unwind in front of the TV. He doesn't really want to speak much. And after a while, his partner says, you're not showing me you love me anymore. And her rules for being or being aware that she's loved, she needs to be told, she needs to be held, caressed, just reassured. The guy's take on it is, my rule is, you know, words are cheap. I need to prove it. So I'm working all these hours for you, for us, for our family, for our future, for our certainty to have the good things. So he's very much doing all these things. And his rules is, you know, don't talk about it, do it, prove it, substance over style. Whereas his wife is saying, well, no, I, I don't want that. I just want you to to hold me, to, to hug me and just tell me each day. So you've got two very, very contrasting uh, rules there, haven't you, that have uh, emerged probably as a result of conditioning. Definitely. So you've touched on exactly these points. They have two different underlying needs, ultimately. Um, and again, one looking at the vehicle of having a career and earning money is meeting his need for security. And you have her primary need, which in this example she's expressing is to have love and connection. Mm. And his his way of meeting his need for security is not going to meet her need for love and connection in the same way. And so you can see again how using these needs can help clarify why there can be conflict. But it also raises an interesting topic and it's another um, area that I love and I use a lot in my coaching and that is the book called uh, The Five Love Languages, which I believe you're familiar with as well. Yeah. And I love that book because it really helps to get sort of also to the core about how we communicate love within a relationship. And it says that there's sort of five different ways to communicate love and based on our upbringing and what we experienced as children, we learn to give and receive love in different ways. And as you again touched on here, one way could be to show love um, through actions and another one can be to show love through words. And when people don't, have the same love language, they can be trying to communicate love in very different ways and it's not being received. So the man in this example is doing everything he can to show his love through his actions, but his wife is not receiving that love because her needs differ in that way. She needs to 
receive um, love through um, physical touch and words of affection. Yeah, yeah. It's, and isn't it interesting? I mean, when, you know, I'm kind of witnessing, just listening to this, Kelly, and it's so simple, isn't it? But, you know, I suppose riding a bike's simple once you know how. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think we do complicate a lot of things in relationships and we like to believe that every issue we face in a relationship is unique to us but when we look at what science has done in trying to understand relationships there are a lot of really simple fundamental principles that if we were aware of those we could overcome so many of the common issues and conflicts we have in relationships yeah Definitely. I mean, no, just I suppose from a slightly left field perspective here, Kelly, flying off its a tangent a little bit. Um, one of the, the statements I consistently kind of throw out there, um, because I believe it, um, not only do I believe it, I feel it and I've experienced it um, as a result of experiential learning, is that life is a very simple game. But boy, do we complicate it as human beings. Absolutely agree with that one, Paul. I think we definitely do that. And it's part of our need to have variety. If things were always so simple, we would probably get bored. And so we create drama and conflict in our lives many times simply to have variety and to never really know what's going to happen next. So maybe the trick on that one, if trick's even the right word, Kelly, is to add certainty into our variety so we don't stray too far away from the uh you know the status quo the comfort the security but we kind of yeah but i think a lot of the times when we do create dramas and you know for this to 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 instill variety variety and uncertainty in our lives is actually done subconsciously isn't it i mean that brings in a whole host of things like uh, deservedness, self-sabotage, and that's certainly something from a personal perspective. <laughs> I feel probably one of the world's most qualified people to speak around. Uh, I, I know I'm not, yeah. but uh, yeah, I kind of give myself a pat, yeah, pat on the back, to, and that's part of my coping strategy, or not coping strategy, but acceptance of. Do you know what, Paul? You've laid, you've made loads and loads and loads of mistakes, but do you know what, boy? It's okay. It's absolutely okay. Well, you're, you're right. We do so many things subconsciously. And part of the reason for that is, is we would overload ourselves if we were constantly consciously thinking about everything that has to happen in our lives. And so what we do as human beings is when we learn something new, we have to learn it in the conscious part of our brain. And then once we've done it and repeated it a few times, we sort of store it then in the subconscious and it becomes automatic. And a lot of the repetitive patterns we see in lives, um, whether they're positive or negative, come out of these automatic responses that we've stored previously in our lives. And we don't even recognize why they're happening. And so when we look at conflict in relationships, um, once we bring it back up in, and look at it consciously, we can start to really see where some of the issues are happening. And another example I see quite often with the couples that I coach is couples that have a difference in terms of their needs for social interaction, being extroverted or introverted. And what happens quite often is 
when one couple, uh, one of the couple wants to go out and be social and the other one would prefer to stay home, they're not aware of this need to sort of have security and stay back home. And so what they'll do is subconsciously create an argument in order to prevent the activity from happening and having to leave the home. And so I'll get couples who constantly fight, you know, and they think it's about, you know, he wants to be with his friends or she wants to be with her friends or whatever they believe the issue to be. And then when we start looking at it underneath, we see that there's a need that isn't being met in this situation. And so they're subconsciously sabotaging or creating conflict in order to sort of um, dissipate the situation and make themselves more comfortable. I want to kind of, if I may, Kelly, adopt this, because um, as I said, you know, this this fascinating topic of the six human needs, and, and obviously we've already uh, endorsed the work of uh, Mr. Anthony Robbins um, as the um, uh, as the originator of this. Um, I want to come at this, I want to ask you a question then, from the wider scope of your expertise and experience, um, you know, as a... Um, um, dating and relationship coach uh, and executive matchmaker. Robbins says, doesn't he, that if of those six human needs, if we can meet or if somebody meets three of them, okay, now let me take it before we go on to somebody, let's talk about ourselves. So if, uh, and if I can be, if I can, if you can just indulge me for a moment, Kelly, around my previous drink addiction, what alcohol gave me was it met all of my needs at a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. All of them, all six of them. I'm not saying it met them positively, but it met them. And as you know, they will be met one way or the other. So what So what Robin says, isn't it, that if three of those six are met at a higher level, which brackets seven or above that constitutes an addiction so which actually in my case actually held a lot of water because i was addicted to alcohol it was like a bit like a dog chasing its tail self-fulfilling prophecy call it what you will the wheel just kept going round and round and the cycle continued for decades so from a personal point of view kelly absolutely 100 percent agree with that so let me switch this over now on that foundation insight into into your expertise and experience around relationships. So if a couple got together, there was dating early stages, and either one of the partners met the other one's needs at you know high level seven or above three of those six. I can remember seeing a video with Tony Robbins saying, "If that is the case, you need to get married, guys." So my question to you, well, let me pause it there before I, um, what's your thoughts about what I've said so far? Um, Well, I completely understand your explanation with regards to alcohol. And and certainly when you have something like an addiction that can meet all six of your needs, that is a very challenging addiction to break. Mm. Um, In terms of Tony Robbins, I would hate to, to debate um, the founder of this model, but I, I must say that in relationships, at least, I would disagree with him. If somebody's meeting three of your needs, you should get married. Uh, the way I like to use that and the way I talk to my clients, especially when they're dating, I always caution them against being with somebody that only meets three of their needs. 
because mm-hmm. they can be addicted to a person. But what I've found is that they will get stuck in an unfulfilling relationship. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not quite sure the context of, of which Tony mentioned that one, but that would be at least my take and my personal experience on how to, to use the needs. And so I help my clients find a relationship where they're with a partner that actually can meet all six of their needs. Because once you have somebody that can do that, you have an almost unbreakable bond between that person. And that's what creates these epic relationships that go the distance where both partners are um, fulfilled and yet they have this sense of freedom, security, and trust where they can also live out their lives and fulfill all their dreams in the relationship. Okay, so let's assume, okay, I, I love what you've just said. So let's assume that all six needs are being met, um, not three of them or four of them. So all six needs are being met by a partner. To what degree then, Kelly, does that sort of physical attraction element come in into that? You know, do, do we look at somebody and there's that kind of Cupid bow um, <laughs> moment or is this, you know, this this psychological needs being met how powerful that is that or can we just look at somebody and think wow what's your thoughts around that my belief about a real strong intimate intimate partnership is that you found your best friend that you're attracted to yeah so if somebody meets all six of your needs you can form a best friend relationship you can form a bond that will last a lifetime But when you add into that sexual attraction and desire, now you've got that combination for this ultimate intimate partnership. Okay, so that's um, so. Are we saying then, Kelly, that you know meeting those six human needs at a very high level is in itself, although very very powerful, um, is not enough for you know an intimate. sexual relationship is that what we're saying yeah no not in itself it's a key factor but it's one factor so on top of that i like to think you need to layer um core beliefs which is another area that i really do a lot of work with and so studies have shown couples that share fundamental core beliefs about how they want to live their life what things are important to them that can hold couples together for the long term And then the third element of that, which is the sexual attraction, comes from this um, topic of polarity, so the feminine and masculine energy. And if you don't have this polarity dynamic, um, that's where you can end up into the sort of friend zone or the sexless marriages because, you know, they've got the six human needs being met. They may share underlying core values, but they just don't have that physical attraction and desire in the relationship. Core values, right. What's your thoughts, Kelly, on the statement that we will we may have values in life, but we will compromise and sacrifice those values to meet our needs. Our needs are higher. What's your thoughts around that? Well, that's an interesting one. I haven't contemplated that statement before, but let me let me uh, sort of on the fly kind of yeah work on that one. I think you're your underlying six needs you're always trying to meet, whether you're doing that consciously or subconsciously. And the fact is, is we'll probably as human beings take the easiest route to meet that need. 
And that could be in a negative way. Mm -hmm. um, you gave, you know, your personal example of using alcohol to meet needs. Um, that is not the most positive way to go about meeting that needs, but it definitely got those met for you. Yeah. So then I guess the question, and I'm sure you can probably give insight in this because I'm sure you've done a lot of work on that is was your desire then to meet your need in a negative way trumping your value system which may have been different and I guess probably the answer to that would be yes in many cases it was absolutely and and that's why and I think yet again at the risk of sort of putting all the burden on our friend Mr Robbins bless him um I think it came from that source but I mean you know, this is not about sort of the uh, the pros and cons and Tony Robbins's work because I think his reputation's up there for all to see. And uh, yeah, so uh, but yeah, from a personal perspective, Kelly, absolutely. Um, I have. I, I will actually source that. I will actually source that uh, and confirm that it uh, it came from from Tony's direction. But more importantly, in the context of this this discussion. Um, is I can actually, yeah, I can actually wholeheartedly say that, um, you know, values will be compromised. And not just from my own perspective, my own experience. I tell a situation from decades ago where I, I knew a lady that was married and she was having an affair. And I can actually remember saying to her, why don't you leave him? Oh, because I love my husband. Right, okay, you love him but you're having an affair and uh, you know the language was tantamount to um he provides me my security my lover provides me my variety and uncertainty both needs are being met the irony of this uh was it was actually a vicar's wife ah <laughs> very interesting it's it's an example actually that I, I really like because it's one that I've worked on um, quite a few times with couples and it comes back to this um, looking and being conscious of how you're meeting your needs. So absolutely, when somebody has an affair, we often hear that, you know, I needed to go outside the relationship because I was missing, you know, the emotional connection. So the underlying need for love and connection or the sexuality, which could be the need for variety, or it could also be the need for significance, um, whatever. And what we look at is couples that want to overcome an affair and work on repairing their marriage. It's often about being conscious of, okay, how can you meet that same need using a different vehicle in another way? So not using um, an affair or an outside person to meet that need, but how can you go back to meeting that need within the relationship? And of course, there it takes the other partner um, to play a role in that in order of being willing to meet that need. But if that person is willing and the couple then looks at, okay, how can we um, you know, bring variety back into our marriage? Um, it's, it's quite a, a simple, although not always easy way to overcome some of those challenges of people going outside of marriage. Mm. Interesting, isn't it, Kelly? We set a title about fights about money and never really about money. And uh, isn't this the richness of, you know, a conversation or conversations in general where, you know, the dancers, I call it, where we can just end up all over the place and touch on so many other aspects. And I think that's, uh, that's what we've done there. And hopefully our listeners, um, you know, appreciate the dance and, and feel that they've been a, you know, a vital part of the dance. 
Yeah, I think it's been fascinating. Thank you so so much, Paul. I really enjoy having these discussions with you. And like you said, we cover so many different areas and it's definitely an area in terms of relationship and uh, these underlying theories that really um, I'm very passionate about. So always happy to have discussions with you in the future. Excellent. So um, um, the the, uh, the contact information, Kelly, will be in the show notes, but just for the purpose of the listeners uh, to reinforce it now, how can people reach out to you, get in touch with you, find out more about you? What, what are your contact details? The best way is via my website. So it's kellybrandley.com and that's spelt K-E-L-L-Y. And Brandley is like the word brand with L-I at the end. Kelly Brandley. Okay, great stuff. And um, because you're, uh, well, you're, 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 I suppose, in the most respectful terms, Kelly, you're a bit of an old hat on the show now because um, <laughs> you've gone past that first milestone. Um, so you know what's coming. Leave us one really powerful takeaway. You know, summarize everything that we've spoke about. Give us one takeaway that... Um, basically can help people either individually or as a couple improve their life? One of the things I like to teach my clients and I'm happy to share with the listeners is that when you're in relationship with someone, you need to come from the point of view that people um, make decisions and do things from a point of positive intent. So they're not necessarily going out to hurt you, although they may indirectly do so. And in order to understand, I like to say, put yourself in the position of your partner and ask yourself what of the six human needs are they trying to meet in this situation and why would it have led them to make the decision they made this will help people take a lot of the conflict they experience less personally it will help you understand your partner better and i hope in doing so it will help you realize that things like fights about money are never really about the money and what a super way to close the show. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you very much. And so there we have it, listeners. All that remains now is for me to say, remember, no matter what you do in life, always walk your path with heart. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success. <laughs>